Welcome to the Be About Being Better podcast, where we help people make evidence-based, sustainable, small changes for their health that compound into huge shifts towards a better, more vibrant life. I'm your host, Abby Stacier, a health and life coach, future registered dietitian, a master's graduate from Columbia University, and a certified intuitive eating counselor. And I believe that we can't make lasting or meaningful change single-handedly, so I'm so happy that you're here so that together you can see that a diet-free, sustainable lifestyle is possible, and you can leverage that to live a better life. And remember my disclaimer, this podcast is meant to give you general information and it's not meant to substitute or replace medical advice, a diagnosis, or service treatment. Hello, hello, y'all. I have a very, very impactful interview for y'all today. My girl, Paige Vandy, is joining the podcast today. Her and I met, we were in a an entrepreneur mastermind where a bunch of entrepreneurs get together and collaborate for a certain amount of time. For us, we were together for six months. And that was hosted by our business coach, Megan Yelaney. She's been on the show before. And this is also the mastermind where I met Kay Hillman. Kay Hillman has also been on the show, episode 27, where we talk about elevating your faith. Um, She was also in that mastermind as well. So I've met so many amazing entrepreneurs that have all different types of businesses, all different types of stories. And I can't wait to share Paige's story with y'all today. Couple things about Paige. She is an online business coach for entrepreneurs that have an online health and fitness coaching business. So she is a health and fitness coach and business coach that coaches other health and fitness coaches. She is absolutely fabulous. And she has a very impactful story. So I just have a couple trigger warnings for the episode. She talks about some abuse. She talks about being put in a troubled teen program. And we're going to link up some resources in the show notes. Um, But if any of you have seen Paris Hilton's documentary, I haven't yet, but I am going to because of this interview that I had with Paige. Uh, She, you know, made me aware of this. I'm definitely going to go watch it. But if you have seen that, then you kind of already know where this might be going uh, with Paige's story. But good news, she has come out of this really tough situation. She's ended up on the other side and she talks about how she got through it and how she has ended up on the other side for having a life that she is so proud of and a life that she dreamed of and how she really just took the reins of her her life and changed things for the better. So I'm really excited for y'all to hear her story because although it is hard to tell and it's sometimes hard to hear, it really is inspirational and um, I'm excited. Let's dive in. Yay, y'all. I am so excited to welcome Paige Vandy to the Be About Being Better podcast. This is going to be a fire episode. I'm so pumped. Paige, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yay. So good. Well, the first question that I always ask all of my guests in lieu of a traditional podcast intro, because sometimes those can get, you know, just over overheard or we're oversaturated. Yeah. So I always like to just dive right into the deep end. Um, what is something that you've been through in your life that was really difficult to go through at the time and very hard? But now, since you've been through it, you can look back and be like, that changed me for the better, made me, helped me step into my best self, got me to where I am today. But at the time, that was really difficult. <laughs> what is that thing Oh my for you? gosh. Like, which one do you want? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think 
Let's go to, because I'm going to, yeah, let's go with a more recent, recent one is in 20, I think 18, I had broke up with a relationship. Um, I found out that he was cheating and we had just gotten a puppy and I really faced wondering do I just like go back home, which is eight hours away from where I live? This was also just when I started my business. And so I wasn't necessarily making good money yet. I was kind of like surviving line type thing. And I made the decision to stay where I was living. And I should kind of preface this is where I live right now is very expensive. It's like a, cause I live in Canada where I live right now is almost like a U.S. California type mm, thing, okay. like nice California. Yeah. They call it Little Napa. But anyways, it's expensive. Yeah, It's expensive. And so – and none of my family's here. And so mm. I decided to stay here, really go all in with my business, take my puppy with me, and do it on my own. And I'm so grateful that I did that because while it was very, very hard and I – I really had to put my all into business and really had to have a belief higher than myself that it would work out, which I think was a huge thing. Mm. Um, I think going through that and really coming out the other side, growing a multiple six-figure business, really like having that be the year that I took off in business and that I took off and established myself and things started working for me. I think really sticking to my alignment and saying, this is where I want to be and this is what I want to do rather than going back home and just going back to my old salary job and going back to where it was less expensive and safe. I think really holding that vision for myself and knowing, no, this is who I'm going to stay here because who I want to be aligns with this place and who Mm. I want to be aligns with what I'm doing in my business. And thank God I did that because looking back, if I had gone home, I I wouldn't have my business. I wouldn't be where I am. So I think that's one of the many. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So did you have the belief at the time or is this something that you developed going through it that everything in life is happening for you, not to you? You know, it's – and I mean, I think we'll get into my story as well Mm -hmm. as where I really established this. Mm -hmm. Um, But it took – many years in my 20s to get this belief that, you know, I no one was really going to save me except for myself. And if I wanted to do anything, I needed to make it happen for myself. And at this time in 2018, 2019, that's when I really started getting into almost like spiritual work a little bit and knowing that Um, For me, it was very like universe work and knowing that, you know, when I'm in alignment and when I'm doing things as my best self, everything's going to work out for me. And I, that, that became very apparent in little things that I would do, you know, when I would, when I would start my business or when I was first starting, I would do small little, like I would be, I remember sitting on my living room floor, struggling and crying and being so scared of where my next paycheck essentially was going to be coming from when I was starting my business and always having that true vision of, okay, well, when I do these actions, when I'm living as my best self, when I'm doing my journal work, when I'm taking care of myself first, things work out for me and money comes in. And that started happening over and over and over again. Whereas long as I held that belief for myself, these little things started to happen. And so I think over time, it just became very, very apparent to me. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like once mm-hmm. so many blessings were coming, it's like, I can't deny this yeah. anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So maybe take us back now to where this all started in the beginning and those really hard times because you have a very impactful story, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. Yeah. So I always laugh at this because when people are like, oh, tell us your story. And then you get the people who are like, well, I was born and so-and-so. But like my story actually does start when I was a child. So for me, I I'm from Canada. I grew up in a place like a province called Alberta. And I had a pretty normal family, I think. Like I was, we had a really nice house. My parents worked good jobs. Um, My dad was a prison guard uh, higher up in the prison. And then my mom was a nurse. And so we always just lived, like we had nice, we lived in a nice neighborhood. We had, like we were average, right? Had good things. I was very athletic growing up. Um, Do you remember those old Taibo videos where there was like that, guy and he was kind of doing exercise, like dancing almost, like aerobics kind of exercise. So my, that was like what I would do for fun. Like when I was little, like I would love that stuff. I remember my dad had a punching bag downstairs and a bench press and Mm -hmm. weights. And like, I would hang out downstairs and just do that kind of stuff. Like I loved it. I thought it was so fun. And so grew up, played competitive soccer. Um, my mom, would always take me to her gym. It was an all women's gym. And I was probably like very young teenager, maybe like 12, 13. Mm. I would go to the gym and I loved it. Like that was just something I absolutely loved to do. It was in me. Mm. So we had a good, just regular family dynamic. Um, as I started to get older, teenage years, I do what a lot of teenagers did is I would start to, okay, well, Oh, my friend's parents have coolers. Like, we're going to try that. And like doing little things like that. My parents, again, my dad was a prison guard. You have to kind of know as a prison guard, he's going to be very, he's going to be more on the strict side, Mm. more of the like, look at the world as a, you got to be careful kind of thing. Right. It's not like all rainbows and butterflies. And so as I started getting older, I, my friends started to like, their parents would give them coolers and wine here and there. Mm. My parents were very, very strict about that. Um, and for me, I've always had that, well, I'm going to kind of do what I want to do attitude. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That is just what I had. And so for me, my parent or my friends would start to go out to parties in high school, say like we were 15 years old my friends would start to go to parties and we'd want to go out and stay out later. And my friends had that relationship with their parents where they could be like, Hey, can I call you if I end up drinking too much? Or could you pick me up if I need a ride kind of thing? And like, they had that understanding, which was really nice for me and my parents. It was more so like you drink and you are grounded. You do this and you are not going to see the light of day again, whatever that saying is. Mm -hmm. And like very just fear-based almost Mm. me. I'm still going to do what I want, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't necessarily the, – the fear parenting didn't work for me. Yeah. So fast forward, I still went out, but when all of my friends would go home, I was too scared to go home. I mm. felt like if I went home – I would get in a lot of trouble because I was drinking. I don't want to know what that's going to be like. So I'm just not going to go home. Mm. I would stay at friends' houses. I would 
stay out like way, way later. Sometimes I would try and sneak back in, but stay out really late so that they wouldn't be up. Mm. I would do anything to basically avoid my parents, which looking at a parent's point of view, where's my daughter? What is she doing? What kind of trouble is she in? Who Mm. is she out with? They had no idea what was going on. We didn't have that relationship though, where we could Mm. talk and say like, hey, this is what I was doing. I would get home whenever I got home. There would be yelling. There would be crying. There would be slam doors. And that was my teenage years over and over and over and over again. That was the tension every single week Mm. because every single week there was a weekend and I would go do stuff. And not to say that I was in the right to do these things because teenagers probably shouldn't be out drinking and partying and whatever. But at the same time, there there wasn't that dynamic that really we could really talk about it and then kind of come up with a solution. Like maybe mm. maybe you can go out a yeah. little bit later and like maybe you just don't drink that much. You know what I mean? Right. It wasn't and really so, a safe space to do that. No. Yeah. No. So I remember getting ready for school one day. I was going – I was in 11th grade, I believe, 10th or 11th grade. And I remember sitting, straightening my like – really bad clip-in hair extensions <laughs> with my cheese straightener, the one that you can do wet to dry that oh, like nice. sizzles your hair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember doing TBT. that and I remember one of my parents mm-hmm, – remember one of my parents came down and they're like, hey, so you're not going to be going to school today. We're actually going to be going to Las Vegas. We're going to be looking at some properties down there. So it was like, amazing. I'm not going to school. Awesome. I get to go on this vacation. I remember texting one of my friends this. And when I get to my story, this is going to seem very crazy, but I remember texting one of my friends this and him saying, I have a really bad feeling about this. I don't think you should go. Mm. And for me, I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, we're going to Vegas. I'm going to have fun. I'm going on a vacation. So fast forward, we get to Vegas and I'm there with my mom, my dad, my auntie, my uncle. And we're supposed to be going to look at properties. And so we get to the hotel. We have an early night because we're supposed to be doing all of this the next day. The next day rolls around. It's early, like very early. Looking back, people don't look at properties at five in the morning. Wow. Yeah, that's very <laughs> it's early. It's, it's very it's very early. So the energy is also different. Mm. And so we get into the vehicle. And we start driving, which I think that we're going to go meet someone to look at these properties. We get to a parking lot, a completely empty parking lot, except for there's one other vehicle in that parking lot. We drive up to that vehicle. And this is literally where my even memory to this day, working on it, but this is where my memory to this day starts to get a little spotty. Mm. The next thing I remember is two people getting out of their vehicle. And putting me into that vehicle. No idea who these people are. It's a man and a woman. No idea who they are. I remember my dad bawling and just standing in the parking lot. My aunt, my uncle, my mom, my dad. I just remember them standing in the parking lot. They're hugging each other. They're crying. And I have no idea what's happening. This sounds like some sort of ransom, like kidnapping or I don't know what – Yeah. Yeah. And so I was in this vehicle. I remember trying to get out, but it was like police locks where you can't get out from the inside. And so I'm like locked in this vehicle. These people get back in. They don't tell me where we're going and we just start driving. So we leave my parents. We leave my family. 
I don't know what is happening. This is very early in the morning. Then we're driving for, I don't even know. It's, it could be hours and hours. It could be like two hours. I'm not sure. My memory of it is just so spotty. But we drive and I still have no idea where I'm going. Did you try and ask them questions or were you scared? Like, Yeah. I Well, I remember just putting in my headphones to my old MP3 player and just listening to music, like not mm-hmm. talking, being very quiet and just like mad basically. Didn't know what was happening. I knew something was up. I knew my parents, obviously I could piece together that they had set this up. But I didn't know why. I didn't know what was happening. No idea. So we're driving. We get to this old, like this very small town, Kanab is what it was called in Utah. And they drive me to a medical clinic, which when I say like old town, like this was, think of the oldest, like old Western type of town. (laughs) The building's very old and small and what, like that's what it was. So they drive me into this medical center. I have to get a full physical from a doctor, no idea why, get back into the vehicle and we just keep driving. So I still have no idea where we're going, but I just had to get this physical. Yeah. I mean, I know you're so young and probably like in shock, but were you like, hey, who are y'all? Where are we going? (laughs) So you know what's funny is – well, I don't know if it's funny, but I don't remember really like any of the interactions in the vehicle, at the medical office, nothing. The next thing I really remember is we are going up through the – like have you been to Utah, the National Monument, like the Mm -hmm. Red Cliffs? Yeah. So it was going through there. It was beautiful. But it was basically like desert land, like going Mm -hmm. up these back roads and hills and whatever. And we get to this other building way in the middle of nowhere, not in a city, not in a town, way in the middle of nowhere. And they're like, hey, well, we're here. And we get out. I walk into this building. It reminds me of what I would think a small prison would look like. Like it's – the walls are just concrete. It's dark. And I remember looking at one of the walls and there was just Polaroid pictures of children all over the wall. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was like obviously – it was terrifying. And when I got in there, that's kind of when they told me what was going on. I was being sent to a wilderness program for troubled teens, for troubled youth. You're here for a reason. You're here because your parents didn't know what to – like all of the things basically. Mm. I didn't know how long I was going to be there. All I knew was that I was going to be given a backpack and I was going to be basically living outside for the foreseeable future. They took all of – yeah. They took all of my stuff, all of my clothes. I got stripped again. Oh my goodness. They I remember like I just got a piercing in my lip fresh and they had to pull it out with pliers because they couldn't get it out because it was so Yeah, it was awful. It was awful. They took my clothes, put it in these plastic bags, put it in the these totes, and they're like, You're gonna get this when you come back. Like it's not gonna be gone forever. You'll get it when you are out. So I'm like, well, okay, at least this isn't forever, which it honestly feels like it in that moment. They then give me my backpack, these new clothes, and we drive up to, again, another spot, and that's where the transporters is what they're called, the two people in the vehicle. 
that's where they kind of like said their goodbyes, said this is where I was going to be staying. These were going to be my two like counselor people. And then there is a small group of other teenage girls, probably like six or seven other girls in there. And they just left me. And that was it. Yeah. And I just remember being like, I don't think it sunk in. I, I, I honestly don't necessarily, I don't remember what that first interaction was. What I do remember next is waking up the next day in the dirt on a small little foamy mat. We didn't have tents. We didn't have shelters, anything like that. We had to just use tarps. Um, we didn't have lighters. We didn't have anything to make fire. We had to do like sticks, start your fire with sticks. Like it was bare. I remember waking up the next day in the dirt being like, oh my God, that wasn't a dream. I just remember not being able to process that. Like, wow, this wasn't a dream. This is actually happening. And it was the most helpless feeling in the world. Yeah. Like, I'm also thinking like, (laughs) is there some sort of research on this where they're like, if these troubled teens, they think they can just Mm -hmm. do do whatever they want and they don't need responsibility. Good. Well, we'll put you out. If you think you're so responsible and can take care of yourself, we're just going to put you out yeah. in the woods and uh, you, you, yeah. that that will teach you what you need to be taught and, you know, show you a lesson or something like that like, is, is that what they thought was going to be this a cure? Is there any sort of research behind that? Like this can't, this is wild well, to and me. For, for kids who lived in the United States, it was a little bit worse because I was I lived in Canada and so my parents had to get me across the border first mm. for those people to take me for everyone who lived in the states they came into their bedrooms in the middle of the night <gasps> and took oh them Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. This is everyone every single one traumatizing. Truly traumatizing. Which is why it's being there's the like if everyone anyone listening to this has seen the Paris Hilton documentary on Netflix that's what she's talking about is these schools and this system that's what they're fighting to shut down because it's so traumatic and it's wow not right right so I remember being in there I remember just like to give some context of it we moved around daily for the most part sometimes we'd stay in one spot for a couple nights but for the most part we'd be moving around we had food drops so someone would come and drop off food bags to us I think once a week you had to ration your food I was awful at that at the beginning. And if you ate all your food, they didn't give you more. So I remember living off of a baked potato, a single baked potato and like some garlic that I had until I had to wait for my next food. I remember having to go to bed early because it was so windy one night. We couldn't start our fire so we couldn't make our food to eat. Like it was very – there again, there's no one coming here to save you. You got to figure it out, wow. kind of thing. And what were the dynamics like with the other? Were they all women in the group? Like, were people friendly? Yeah. Were they mean? Were, were people trying to help one another? So there was like this wave that happened, mm-hmm. which was, I mean, when people first got to the group, it was very common because we'd all kind of get there at different times and leave at different times, right? Um, the, I think we, like, you had to stay for two months. When I got there, it was really hot. When I left, the snow was up to my knees. So we were living in the snow in that as well, which was a whole other story. But people would kind of like trickle in and 
what would happen normally is most people would be just very mad, angry, not talking to the group. Some people were on suicide watch where they had to sleep under tarps, like under actual, like we would have our tarps and trees and stuff like that, but they'd have to have one on them so that if they moved, one of the counselors would wake up and whatever. Um, And so, and they would take our shoes in the middle of the night so no one could run away. Like, so the vibe there was like you're in something for you're you're in trouble, right? And so a lot of people who come in there, they're not all happy and like, right. hey, it's nice to meet you. Like everyone's very mad. Mm-hmm. What ended up happening though is this is kind of a weird turn of events. Is I remember near the end of me being there, like you made very solid friends, and as you're there longer, you kind of surrender a little bit, mm-hmm. and you can't stay mad because if you if you stay mad, it's only gonna be awful for yourself, right? Like it's – you're not hurting anyone but you by just kind of staying mad. And so that's what I, my experience was anyways. And so when you kind of got to the end, I remember also feeling like it was one of like the most peaceful feelings that I had felt in a long time, just being outside for two months, not washing our hair, not having TV, not having cell phones, not having responsibilities besides like staying alive, not having any distractions, not having like at the school, I was in high school. So not having drama, like things like that. You just, you're just there. You don't have anything to numb out with. You're there with your thoughts when you're, when you're not walking around, whatever, you're just there with your thoughts. You have a journal, you have a book maybe, you're doing stuff. And it's kind of crazy that shedding everything that we have in our society, how freeing that can actually be mm. and how at peace you actually can be with just nothing Yeah, is a very – it was a very cool feeling. I have so many questions. First, do you keep in touch with anyone still that was there? Um, I – one person and we don't keep and this is so because this was only the first portion of it there's a second portion that comes after so for this wilderness one person I do okay okay and then I want to know about integrating back into your family yeah too and then also the piece that you were just speaking to like do you keep any of those principles today where you try and be more minimalistic and that really like I kind of shaped you forever. Um, and like any experiences from how do, how do they show up for you today? The integrating one? Yes. So that was actually when I had my first panic attack in my entire life. And I thought I was dying. I thought I was having a heart attack because I've never had a panic attack before. Wow. When I left wilderness, it was in Utah and we had to fly out of Vegas for the next step, which I'll get into. Um, but driving, getting in a vehicle, first of all, was a trip. Um, once we got into Vegas itself with all the traffic and the lights and just the city, I had a full blown panic attack. I couldn't handle it. My, like, I just couldn't breathe anymore. My heart was like beating out of my chest. We had to pull off the freeway and, I forget. I think it was my aunt or my, someone did something to help me. I don't know. I don't, don't oh, remember. Oh, so your family was there but at that point. When they had when they got me out of 
so when I could leave wilderness, like when you could graduate from it, basically at the two months part, my family came back, they came and got me. And then we drove back to Vegas in that time. That drive is when I had my panic attack because I just was not used. Like I would just, I was in nothing for so long. Wow. Um, And do you remember what it was like when you first saw your family again? Like, were you angry towards them? Were you just grateful to see them? Were they happy or they cautious? I was very happy to see them again. Mm -hmm. And we were able to write letters back and forth, like for the two months kind of thing. Um, but it was like very surface level. It wasn't like, why did you put me here? It was like, this is what I did today. Like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I was very happy. But that wasn't the – that. so that wilderness experience was probably like the highlight of my story. The oh my. <laughs> my Yeah. Goodness. So what ended up happening – what ended up happening after that is we couldn't go back home because that's not the full program. Like what happens is when you go into these troubled teen programs, you go to this wilderness, you get like stripped of the six, like the stresses and everything that is going on in your life. You get humbled a lot. Um, but then you have to go to a boarding school, a therapeutic mm. boarding school after that. These okay. boarding schools is what this movement is about to be shut down. I, my parents picked this boarding school in Montana So what ended up happening was we flew out of Vegas, stayed a night in Spokane, and then drove to this boarding school. They picked this boarding school because it was supposed to be a college prep school. It was very elite. It was a very expensive school. Um, There was a lot of like very, very well-off families who had their kids in these schools. It was which like makes me feel very terrible looking back at it because they also said that it was for outdoor leadership. I would go snowboarding because I loved that. I would do all these Mm -hmm. hikes and trips and like all of this stuff that a parent would be like, wow, that if she's going to be away at a therapeutic boarding school, I want her to be at like the best one or like a very good one. We ended up doing school three days a week for probably three hours, Mm -hmm. not very much. And remember, they promised that it was going to be this college prep school. All of the other hours, we were doing some kind of labor. So like digging tree stumps, um, tidying the school grounds. We We would go up into the mountains and use hand saws, like one person on one side, one person on the other. And we'd saw down these massive trees so that the school could then build benches and tables and stuff like that. They had therapy there. So we'd do like group therapy and then individual therapy. My individual therapist was actually really amazing. But the group therapy was what was very traumatic. They would do Mm -hmm. things like – like I remember – and this is actually kind of crazy because my memory, like I said, is just coming Mm -hmm. back from these things. I blocked a lot of it out. Yeah. One of the things that I blocked out that I just started remembering – is they would put us in these rooms for like days at a time, dark rooms, no windows, anything like that. And they'd do this very invasive therapy where I remember, for instance, one of the like male um, teachers, he would hold me down on the ground with a pillow and be like, this is all the bad decisions that you've made. You have to fight against it and do things like that. Yeah. 
And we'd be in these rooms for three days. We'd come out to eat and that was it. And it was just like very intensive therapy that actually caused a lot more trauma than it did good. Yeah. And that went on for, I had almost a year, I think I was there. So I was very, very resentful going to that school. They would do other things like put me on bands from the entire school, which meant I couldn't look at anyone, talk talk to anyone, sit with anyone. I couldn't be in a room with a male, like a boy, because that's dangerous. They would make us cuddle each other and weird things like that. Mm. If your audience – because there's so much I could go on about this, but if your audience even wants to look into these – like this movement of shutting down these schools, it's called breakingcodesilence.org. Paris Hilton is a huge advocate of it right now um, because she went to the same. Oh, I didn't realize. So yeah, we'll we'll definitely link that up in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. And so I begged my parents to get me out of there. And like every kid (laughs) did, my parents did eventually pull me out. And I'm very thankful they did because at the end of your program at those schools, they do a very intense, again, therapy thing that creates a lot of trauma that they make you sign a contract that you can't tell anyone in the outside world of what they did in there. And everyone who did that just like came out very different and very like traumatized. Mm. And so I'm very glad I got out before that. But what ended up happening when I got out is when I got back to Canada, I got back to society. Remember they said I would have the best schooling there, college prep, nothing transferred, nothing that I did there actually qualified for school. So I had to be a year behind all of my friends and and with all this trauma. <laughs> so it's like yeah, extra baggage, extra years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So and to integrate back I, and then to not be with your yes. friends. And high school yeah. your friends and nobody are knew. so important. Oh. Yeah. And nobody knew where I went. My parents didn't tell anyone. Like my best friend thought I was dead. Nobody knew where, nobody knew where I was. Yeah. And so for me, integrating back was very hard. I had to do school online. That was really hard. I had to get a part-time job because that was like in part of my contract. Um, I was just, I felt very, like I didn't know who I was and that ended up me spiraling. I couldn't talk to my parents about how I actually felt because when I did, it was just like, well, we didn't know what to do. And so that was kind of the end of the conversation. I couldn't talk to my friends about what I had gone through because where do you even start to be able to describe that? Like there was so much. So for me, that's actually when I went downhill. That's when I started partying. That's when I started drinking more. That's when I started going out. I was kicked out of my parents' house at 18. 18 is legal drinking age where I live. Um, But my parents were just like, nope, not having – well, it was my mom. She's like, nope, not having it. So I was kicked out at 18. All of my friends lived with their parents because we're still in high school at 18. Where did you go? Part, right? So I had to go with – go find people who were a lot older than me that had their own places that I had partied with that I had met partying, but they weren't good friends. Mm-hmm. My good friends still lived with their parents. So it's like, where do you go? Right? So I went and lived with these people who 
that's when really just bad stuff started happening. That's when I started getting into drugs because they were very in that world. Mm -hmm. Very. They were in clubs every single night. That's what I started doing. It was a very just not good, not good time. And it wasn't who I truly was. Like, remember, I was someone who really prioritized health. I was someone who really prioritized fitness as a kid and like teenager and I loved that stuff. And that's mm. – I still loved that stuff. Like how did you start to get back yeah. to health and fitness again? Because that ended up being kind of your saving yeah. grace, right? Yep. Yep. And so for me, I literally looked at it as like this little dangling rope that I had. I would be out partying. I would be out doing all this stuff. But I still loved that. I still loved health. I still loved fitness. I mm. still loved going to the gym. While I wasn't prioritizing it as I should have been – I still would make it happen here and there. I'd be I'd be out till four in the morning and then I'd make it to a spin class the next day kind of thing. Mm. Um, slowly over time, and this was not perfect, but I kind of had to realize that, you know, with health, you can't force your way through it. You can't force your way to be where you want to be with your health. For me, it was like, you can't just be like, okay, well, I want to look a certain way. I want to feel a certain way. I have to do this with my diet. I have to do this with my fitness. It doesn't work that way. Mm. For me, I was in that torn life for a long time. I was partying a lot, but then I wanted to be this certain way. And I was very – I felt just very pulled back all the time. I was like, why can't I achieve Mm. this? Why can't I be that person? Why can't I get myself out of this? I had to start acting as if I was that person because for me, I felt like I was living a little bit of a lie I would go out partying with these people and with my like so-called friends and then I'd want to go to the gym and they'd be like, well, why? Like you just stayed out partying all night. Like why would – you're not healthy. You're not this. And so for me, I had to just become that. Even if I wasn't that, I had to in my mind become that person. Mm. I had to become that person and act as if I was that healthiest person because – all these people were saying, okay, well, why would you do that? You're not like you, right. I just saw you at the club last night, right? Not letting so those it's like people you have define to, you. Yeah. And so you have to, I had to really start acting as if I was that person until it became my reality. And then fast forward, I started acting as if so much that I got into, I hired a personal coach because I was like, I want to be my healthiest self. I want to be this best self version of me. What does that person do? They work with the best. They work with good people. They work with people to get them there. And so I hired my first coach in 2014. Um, I remember being at my work desk and researching bodybuilding stuff and macros and nutrition and just like all of this kind of stuff. And so I ended up really pulling myself out of that place slowly. This was not an overnight. This was me falling on my face, getting back up, falling on my face, doing a little bit better, falling on it, right? And it just kind of slowly more and more started getting to this person that I wanted to be. The more I really told myself, hey, this person who I wanted to be, they don't stay out until five in the morning. They don't do this. They go to bed early. They And so I used those concepts and really used almost – I say embodiment, like I I really got clear on who it was I wanted to be and then got and then reverse engineered that and got clear on what those person's habits were, if that makes mm. sense. 
Yes. And that's something I talk about with my clients, which we probably need to have a whole podcast episode just about this specifically so that listeners can hear this as well. But it's something I talk about a lot with my clients is if you want to be your best self, and like you're saying, kind of pull yourself out of a situation. Where do you want to be? What is that point B for you? If you're at point A and getting super clear on who is that person, what are they thinking? What are their habits? How do they show up every day? How do they carry themselves? How do they dress? What do they eat? Like just getting so clear on what that is and then figure out, okay, what can I start to do for myself where I am at point A? And that will help you propel yourself to get to point B. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Oh, that mm-hmm. is really powerful. And it's not yeah. like faking it till you make it. It's taking little bite-sized pieces of who you want to be and I- integrating that into your everyday actions. Yeah. And that over time yeah. eventually yeah. changes you. Yeah. And I always say that as well, because this is something like not only with my health, but then I use that exact same concept to grow my business Mm -hmm. as well. And I tell my clients this, that it's not faking it till you make it, it's embodying it until it becomes a reality. And Mm -hmm. I mean, how are you going to create a reality? You're going to little by little by little be doing those things that's going to match you with that person that you want to be. Right? Yes. And eventually those actions will overpower. Yes. Because there's a certain ratio. Like at the beginning, there's nothing, but then you do a little something where the majority is still where you don't want to be the things you want to give up. But the Mm -hmm. more that bit by bit, you add things into Mm -hmm. your life and habits and routines and mindset shifts and affirmations to yourself that are more in line with where you want to be in your best self, that tends to overpower and outweigh the stuff that you're Mm -hmm. running away from. Yeah. And you know what? I think that at the same time too, it was, there's such a component of, I never, like, I I would look at people that I was hanging out with when I was in my partying era Mm -hmm. and I would wake up the next morning and like, think back to just what happened in the night or think back to the people I was with, or maybe like one of them was still on my couch. Like Mm -hmm. I would look at these things and I was like, I don't want to live a life like this person. Mm. I don't want that. And it's like, why am I surrounding myself with these people? Because if I'm surrounding myself with these people, that's going to also be my life. Yes. Right? You surround – like there's there's so outcome. many different environments. There's your – no, there's your physical environment, your mental environment, like your social. There's all of these different environments that really come into play. And for me, my physical environment, my social environment, every, every environment that I had, it was – not matching up to the environment that I wanted. Yeah. So it's really pulling back the curtain on that and saying, okay, what do I need to change here? And I think another major part of this as well is it's like you don't have to be what other people are saying you are. You don't have to be your lowest point. You don't have to be your circumstance. You can literally make your life any way you want it. And I think when I started to pull myself out of that, and I remember where, when it really clicked to me is I remember sitting in my office at my job, like my nine to five job, I had a good job. And I remember one of my coworkers coming to me and just being like, how do you do it? Like your life is, you have it, it seems like you have it all figured out. Like you are always eating healthy. You're always going to the gym before work. You're always going after work. You always have your stuff in order. Like I could never make that happen for myself. Like I just, yeah. I could never do that. And I remember looking at her and being like, you can do whatever you want. (laughs) Like you can literally do whatever you want. And I remember just that 
is what really fueled me to, again, go on to do what I did, which was grow an online health coaching business. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's, I remember where it really, really started was like, when I heard that, all I wanted to do was help her and be like, no, like you can do this. You can change your life. All you have to do is like take these little steps. All you have to do is just take control of your life. And that was really where it just triggered for me. It was like, you don't have to you don't have to be in a place you don't want to be. You can literally be where you want to be by just figuring out what is that? What does that look like? Journal on it. Get very, very clear on what that person feels like. What what did they think on a day-to-day? What is their mindset like? What is their physical health like? What is their emotional health like? And reverse engineer the steps that you need to take today to make that happen. Mm, so good. So good. And mm-hmm. next step is once you kind of have those steps, you figure out what do you need to do first to start getting towards the person that you want to be with the life that you want to have, enlisting in some help. Who already has that life that you can learn from or get accountability from? Do you need to invest in coaching? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's really good to get support in that area and start to change your social mm-hmm. environment because that will, you know, mm-hmm. that can sometimes make or break your success. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I did that with my health. And then it's like, you can, whoever's listening, if they want to do that with their health. I mean, yes. Mm -hmm. If you want to do that with anything else in your life, your business, if you want to start a business, whatever, that's what I use those same concepts. I mean, when I started my business, I, it was in the same year that you did. Like I started in 2017, but didn't really go all in until 2018. And it was the same concepts that I used is, okay, this is where I am right now, making $0, not having a business, But I want to be this person. I want to have a six-figure business, a multiple six-figure business. I want to hire your team members. Mm -hmm. I want to be a CEO. How do I have to act in my day to have that happen? And I credit – and I mean, you and I had the same business mentor as well, a very good friend. She was amazing. Yeah, Meg's been on the show. So yeah, Yeah, Meg and Delaney, y'all. Yeah, but I do credit a lot of my personal – growth and being able to reach these like milestones, I guess, in business and in health and life from the embodiment practice that I had. Because I think if I just had the like, right, if I just had the, okay, well, you have to eat this to get this. You have to do this to get that. If I just had the strategy for business, it's like, okay, all of that stuff's great. But without the actual embodiment work that goes into those things, it's going to be a very bumpy, long road ahead. Yes, 100%. Oh, well, Paige, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for getting so vulnerable. I mean, you have been through the ringer. You've had a very traumatic story, but look at where you are now. You've gone through so much healing. You Mm -hmm. have turned things around for the better, and you've taken, taken back the reins of your life. And it's really inspiring to see. So thank you so much for the impact that you're making in this world with the clients that you work with and for our listeners as well. Thank you for sharing. Where can people find you? Um, And are there any other resources that you have or recommend for kind of advocating to close these troubled teen programs? Honestly, the Breaking Code Silence is the best place to go. There's so many resources on there to go. Um, and then you guys can find me. My Instagram is at page underscore Vandy. 
I also have a podcast. If there's any business listeners on here, anyone wanting to start a business, I have a podcast. It's called the Best Self Entrepreneur Podcast. And there's a hashtag. But it's the hashtag the best self entrepreneur awesome. podcast. We will link that up in the And that's show where notes. I hang out. Perfect. Yeah, that's where I'm usually. That's amazing. Cool. And then my last question that I always ask everyone is what is one thing you're going to do this week to make your health or your life better? Hmm. I love it. So I'm single momming it. I had my daughter six months ago. Oh my gosh, yeah. she's six months today. Congrats. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. And I think she's with her dad right now. Um, and this week I'm really going to prioritize when she's gone. Like after this, for instance, I'm going to go do a spin class. Mm -hmm. I'm really prioritizing giving back to myself when she's gone rather than trying to fit in like a lot of work and a lot of stuff that I kind of fell behind on or mm -hmm. the stuff that I have on my to-do list. I'm going to make it a really big intention just to make sure that in those spaces of time where I do have time to myself, I'm going to give it back to myself. I love that so much. Yay. Well, thanks for being on the show, Paige. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Hey y'all, thanks again for listening to the Be About Being Better podcast. I so appreciate you. If this episode made you laugh, smile, think about yourself or your life differently, in any way making your life better, I empower you to share the show with three people who, just like you, need to hear this message and have this type of transformation in their lives. I personally read all the reviews of the show and see the Instagram story shares and honestly gives me so much joy to see that our mission is making people's lives better and the reviews really do help in increasing our impact so thank you so much for taking the time to do that if you need personalized support with anything discussed in today's episode or need help creating a sustainable diet-free lifestyle take my quiz it's linked below in the show notes and that quiz will help you see which one of our coaching programs is right for you thank you so much again for listening and here's to being about being better